listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast with your host, Andy Plymer. Bringing you up-to-date coaching concepts from the world of rugby. Sharing ideas to make the game better. All right, welcome to episode number 71 of the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. I'm your host, Andy Plymer, and joining me today is Warren Abrahams. Warren is from South Africa originally, but has been based in England for the past decade. He coaches with the England Rugby Sevens setup, is the former Harlequins Academy coach, holding that role for eight years, and was the Lithuanian Rugby Federation's head of sevens for a top period of time. He is the founder of Coaching for Potential, where his goal is to develop people through coaching. And it's a pleasure to have him on the show. So welcome, Warren. Oh, thank you for having me, Andy. I'm a big fan of the pod. So, yeah, no, it's a pleasure to be here. Awesome. Always always stoked to hear that. And um, I'm glad uh, glad uh, you, you, you've taken, having a listen and taken some things away, hopefully. No, definitely. There's been some great guests on. Um, a lot of golden nuggets along the way. So, um Hopefully, I can share a few as well today. Yeah, well, I've got no doubt, and just like uh, doing a bit of research for this interview, looking at your backstory was uh, pretty incredible. So, uh, you know, I won't spoil it for the for the listeners, but um, let let's maybe start with you know your playing backstory and and how you ended up in England. Uh, yeah, playing story. Uh, I, I think I had a fascinating sort of a, a rugby journey um, in terms of from the playing perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously from South Africa, as you said in the intro, uh, where we grow up basically with a rugby ball in our lap, so you get <laughs> you get stuck straight into it. Um, yes, yeah, so I played all through school. Um, after school, transitioned into my local club um, mm-hmm. back home, which is a, sort of a, a semi-professional club, Durbanville Belleville. So where I played my junior rugby. So junior rugby in South Africa is under 20s okay that's what you start your junior rugby basically right. so there's no age group rugby you do all your age group stuff in school so yeah played my under 20 rugby down there then was quite lucky enough to get a to get a scholarship um to Stellenbosch University so nice. Marty's rugby club um mm-hmm. um who produces the most Springboks um probably in South Africa mm-hmm. um yeah so lucky to have a a, a good scholarship there um Otherwise, I, I didn't know how I would have ever gone to university. And yeah. unfortunately, my parents could never afford um, to send me to university. So I had to work incredibly hard to get that opportunity. Yeah. So I spent sort of three, three four, four seasons or so four years um, with Marty's and then went back to, to Durbanville, Belleville, um, for one more season before I came over to England. And, and sort of in between... Um, with the club rugby, I was sort of in and out in the provincial stuff with Western Province, um, um, in and out sort of around the seven stuff as well um, with, with South Africa sevens. Um, could never quite um, get that. I was always chasing that sort of full-time professional rugby player. Mm. Um, I'm gig, could never quite get there. Uh, I was quite unfortunate with injuries along the way. Uh, for some reason, um, I had a couple of significant injuries during key moments. I remember mm. one of them, 
I was about to join the squad, uh, sort of Western Province Curry Cup squad. Um, got an invite to be part of that, and then um, I pulled my groin off the bone, so out for I think it was like eighteen months or something like that. So I had these significant moments um, along the way. My mom in these pivotal moments, my mom always used to say, oh, "Maybe you're just meant to help people." Mm. Um, oh, that was like a. That was not, sort not of what like you want to hear sword. at the time. <laughs> not, not what I want to hear at the time. Like something, a knife through the heart. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so she always used to say that. Um, but uh, it, it, eventually, I think it was in 2007, um, couldn't quite, uh, there was sort of a little bit of dispute with Western Province, couldn't get the contract I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, very naive and immature, probably at the time, I decided I'm going to go to, I'm going to go to England. Um, uh, didn't quite even know where where England really was. I, I remember booking flights and stuff, and I was sitting on a plane, and I was, um, and I'm flying into Heathrow, and I'm thinking, where the hell is Heathrow actually? So <laughs> <laughs> I was on this yeah. on this flight, saved a little bit of money from the the sort of. Um, uh, the club funds I was getting getting paid for for playing, so saved a little bit of cash up, and I was on a flight over here. Had nothing sorted, um, absolutely nothing. Obviously, told my parents everything is fine. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> remember sitting on a plane, and I was like, I was bricking it at the minute because uh, there was nothing on the other side. But I sort of send my CV out to a lot of a lot of different clubs, and as mm-hmm. you know, with the rugby community, there's always sort of some people that. Uh, that's interested in in what you, what you can offer. Mm-hmm. Um, so a few uh, uh, Windsor Rugby Club in particular actually sort of invited me. One of the guys, Paul Laidler, he sort of took me in, stayed with him mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, the club looked after me, and from there it was word of mouth. Um, and a few clubs paid a bit of interest. So I, th- I, th- I don't even think I managed to to play one game at, at Windsor Rugby Club during the pre-season. Um, then got an opportunity to play for Maiden at Rugby Club in right. uh, national, or national free at the time it was. Okay. Um, that's also the time when I found out that um, I couldn't play any higher than national free because obviously the visa I was on didn't, <laughs> allow, didn't allow me to play rugby any higher again with the naivety and probably a bit of the immaturity mm. along the way um so yeah i played for them for a season um it went pretty well got another few offers went to i think reading engines who just literally qualified to go into national one um so and i had a few seasons down there with them um by during this period because I knew I couldn't um, sort of play the highest level I wanted to play in England. I traveled back and forth. So I would do probably for three, four seasons, I would do the full English season then go straight into a full South African season, a version of um, championship rugby, um, then back into the English season, then back to South Africa. And I did uh, a short stint with North Otago in New Zealand, and then came back, and then eventually, in 2010, I went back to South Africa because there was a little bit of interest to try and get me back. Signed a decent contract, lasted five games, ruptured my ACL and MCL, uh, and that that was that. At 27, I officially retired for the first time, and then I made this 
um, which I call a ridiculous comeback at 30, <laughs> 32 for Richmond Rugby Club. Yeah. But this, I could play in, at the highest level. So, um, yeah, I made this remarkable comeback for Richmond Rugby Club. I'm not sure how I did it, but I, I did it for a full season. Yeah, the body definitely. was absolute, but, but um, yeah. yeah, so I, I, I just wanted to tick that one off the list. Mm. Um, and eventually, uh, and alongside that, I was coaching at Harlequins, I was playing at Richmond, I was coaching Lithuania, um, so the brain was all over the place. Mm. Um, I eventually had to had to officially retire for the second time. Yeah. Uh, that's sort of a short version of um, of my playing my playing journey. Just backtracking a little bit, what when you when you actually first kind of started coaching some of those early experiences, what what were those early experiences and what, what were your memories of those? Uh, yeah, those early ones, it was, I, um, sort of how the coaching thing come about, I remember in 1995, the mm-hmm. moment sort of um, when, when Francois Pina passed the the trophy to Nelson Mandela, that's yeah. sort of a, a significant moment in my life sure. where I thought, oh God, I, I want to either play for South Africa or want to coach South Africa. Mm-hmm. At the time, I had no concept of, of coaching, but obviously it just looked pretty cool being in, in, in <laughs> being involved in that environment. Mm. Um, but I finished school in uh, 2003, um, and my mate was coaching the school's under-14 um, team. Um, so he invited me with him to, to go and do a session with him. Yeah. Uh, Couple of sessions later, he decided his coaching is not for him. Um, <laughs> there there I was leading <laughs> leading the schools under under fourteen team. Um, so that that was my first experience of coaching. Um, yeah. and, and at the time, it was as you can imagine, it was all about what I know, mm-hmm. what I've learned, um, and I tried to do everything to try and get that message across. Um, mm-hmm. Don't think that that message was was. Um, very effective or efficient at the time. Yeah. Um, and obviously the way I coach, <laughs> looking back now, the way I coached back then, it was everything was what I saw my coaches do. And coming from a South African background, everything is is, <clears throat> is very much drill-based back then. Mm-hmm. So you can imagine the the old Auckland grid with the four mm-hmm. cones around yeah, the court. The pop, the pop so, in, the, in the middle, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> these are these are all uh, all the things I was I was playing around. I tried to be very creative with, mm-hmm. with these four. Mm-hmm. I used to put loads of different type of cones and get people in different um, sort of areas. But ultimately, I was just doing the Auckland grid in a different version. Yeah. Uh, but the, but the, the thing that sort of stood out the most for me in those early days was uh, sort of the feeling of helping people. Mm-hmm. I think the more I got that feeling of, of not so much about what the results was doing, but how I could make the impact I had on those, those young people and how yeah. I could get them from where they were to to the very uh, sort of next level because a few of those players eventually played a very high level in South Africa and still playing a very, very high level in South Africa. So, yeah, the, sort of those, those memories, those those first memories in terms of that feeling of, of the impact you have on people, yeah. um, that's probably the thing that, that sort of stands out the most for me. Yeah, that's cool. That's a that's a bit of a reoccurring theme. That, that, like we, all, we all start somewhere as a coach and... 
often we're coaching like we were coached and we're coaching based on our knowledge of rugby as a player, which is usually pretty limited um, <laughs> from, from, from a playing perspective. Um, so, yeah, like I, I think it's always good just to reflect on those first few sessions and just think, oh, man, I wish I, wish I could go back and, and at uh, least change something a little bit. Yeah, yeah 100%. But I, I remember I was coaching Paul Roos Gymnasium, uh, but uh, Paul Roos is one of the big rugby schools in South Africa. I was the head coach for the head coach for the D, E, and F team mm-hmm. on the 50s. Yeah, that was bro. I was, I was, but but God's back when I got that title. But at the time, it was a pretty pretty big title. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, no, it was C, D, E, and F team. That that right. was my. And if you can imagine how that's how many players yeah, the school at that particular age group, mm. um, but. Just to get those guys playing in the B and, and A team, those sort of stuff excite me. So yeah. everything is about how do I get these guys into mm-hmm. into those teams. Um, but yeah, no, that's fascinating. Fascinating. Um, sort of, if you look back and reflect on on on, on the early days of the yeah. coaching. Yeah, and that's a cool mindset shift that you talk about there. It's not about you as a coach and the wins and everything. Sometimes it starts like that. I know definitely for me that yeah. I started chasing um some wins that you know from earlier disappointments um but then when you kind of flip it and you go okay i'm, I'm actually here if, uh, in a, a service role um what can i do for these athletes and how can i better them i think that's a big turning point for for coaches to go go into that mindset oh no definitely because that that ultimately if you can and and this is sort of it builds the foundation of my philosophy if you can put people at the center of stuff, mm-hmm. um, then you'll ultimately reap some rewards in the, in the long run. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Okay, well, um, you know, when you were in the UK, you, you did start doing a bit of coaching uh, in and around um, London and the the outer lying areas. What what were some of those uh, clubs that you were involved with there and, and what did some of those experiences look like? Yeah, no, uh, those actually, I'm, I'm actually, I, I had a conversation with someone not long ago about sort of my journey in, in sort of, in, in, in the UK. Um, I mean, my first role with, for instance, with Harlequins was a, a community role because there was no elite roles available. So I, my, my I was a sort of head of a, the HITS program. So the HITS program is a social inclusion program where you yeah. use rugby as a vehicle to um, to sort of um, um, encourage people to take up the sport. But mm-hmm. most most importantly, it was to get people off the street. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> yeah, just looking back now and reflecting on it, and I mean, I had to go in a lot of different estates um, and yeah. just. Uh, and, Ago, we spoke about Hackney, mm. so we used to do a lot of stuff within uh, Hackney, within the the estates, to try and get the guys just to play different different sports. So yeah. it was never about rugby. So I had to be very creative with play ideas. So yeah. it's how you turn turn a football into a basketball game, into a rugby game. So the, all these different type of constraints. Um, and it's only recently when I sat back and, and go, actually, I had to come up with all these little different yeah. type of stuff to, to keep these kids engaged um, within, w- 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 or just to keep 
get them off the street, basically. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and that that was a significant one. So I learned a lot about young people and understanding young people, but most importantly, understanding their stories. So because these guys are. They don't have the easy start in life um, as many other, other people would have. So le- learned a lot about um, <clears throat> how to work with, with the young people from, from that particular role. Um, and uh, along the, the, the way I was coaching um, a few clubs, I coached uh, Millwall Rugby Club. I don't know if you're familiar with Millwall I'm Football Club. I'm familiar with Millwall, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I coached the, coached the rugby version. Um, yeah, actually, very good people involved yeah. in that club. Cool. Um, very, very good people involved. Um, and I, again, I was there as a young guy, didn't really know in, or didn't have a really good concept of how to manage a team, how to build a program, how uh, to periodize a season. So for me, it was, I remember taking the role and and, and sitting here going, <clears throat> geez, I've got no clue what I'm going to do, but I've got a bit of a, a an understanding of um, the game, um, little bits that I've learned along the way. Mm-hmm. At this stage, I was, I was progressing quite well with my sort of coaching journey. Um, and then the other thing is you got to have tough conversation with conversations oh, yeah. with, with a, a lot of old grown men who's, who's been around the block for a while mm. um, that think they know the game inside out. So that, that was a nice challenge as well. Um, but for me, ultimately, it was about getting reps under the belt because mm. I knew it was about the big picture. I had to start somewhere um and I mean, there's, there's, I'm not sure if there's many coaches out there that's sort of in that in that situation where we, you'd go to a club that is very, very bottom of the leagues. Mm. If you can, if you can put that place in the low levels in 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 English in English rugby. But now it, it was about getting reps under the belt. So I had to go learn the hard way. I um um, it was about about exploring different ways. It was exploring my leadership model um, and also trying to uncover what am I about as a as a head coach? How do I manage up and down? No doubt I failed. I failed badly. Yeah. Um, I lasted the whole season. <laughs> I lasted the whole season. The team the teams sort of stayed stayed up in the league. But no doubt some of the sessions I did wasn't related to what I need to get out on a Saturday. Uh, I don't quite think it, 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 it worked that way. Um, but no, it was, it, was, it was about me exploring this leadership model, exploring different ways of coaching, um, learning about having these tough conversations. Mm-hmm. So I think it prepped me sort of uh, along, the, along the way. Um, I'm now coaching a club again. I'm coaching uh, CS Stags, who's playing in a in the national freeze at the minute. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Again, as extra reps under the belt, uh, yeah. Yeah. it is about <clears throat> again. It's about running a rugby program. Um, obviously, that past experience experiences came in pretty handy this time around. Um, I mean, I, I got a SOS call about 15, 16 weeks ago where they just fired their coach and there was, I think there were 13 or 13 or, or 12 at the time when I jumped in. So I had to go and, go and try and save them and we just secured. We ended up, I think we finished eight this season with 
five points from the 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 top five or top six. Oh, so, really? job done. Uh, so job done. But yeah, again, it, it's 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 about getting all these repetitions under the belt, and and hopefully it will set me good in the in the long yeah. run. Yeah, I think yeah. Just thinking about my own story and and what you're talking about there, I think that's what one of the like I just love club rugby. I I just like for so many reasons, but one of the reasons I really like it is as a coach, you can go into the club and you can if if the environment's right at the club, you can make so many mistakes. And as long as you as a coach put your hand up and say, look, I, that's on me. I, I that's a huge mistake. I'm sorry. Here's how I'm going to get better. I've found all the clubs that I've worked with have been incredibly forgiving uh, and they, they want what you want. And uh, I think it's a great place to, to really grow, you know, before you take on something uh, bigger and with a little bit more of a microscope on you. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, and, and that's the key thing. You have to be vulnerable out mm-hmm. there. I remember one of, the, one of the games where I got it completely wrong um, oh, the whole management got it wrong, but I can't stand there and go, um, you guys get it wrong. So I had to show that level of vulnerability where we go, look, I got it completely wrong. I got the preparation wrong. I got the substitutions wrong. I got perhaps the half time wasn't as, as accurate as I wanted that to be. Um, but once you show that sort of level of vulnerability there, you, you get a better buy-in from the group as well because they – and it's all about creating this environment where it's a safe environment to fail. Yeah. Um, so it's all about learning. And if and if, if you can demonstrate this and people see this, um, the sort of level of performance will go a different way as well because all of a sudden guys would be in situations where they can actually really explore and try different things because mm. they know you'll get it wrong, but um, there's no pressure or no one is going to go, um, what are you doing there? Because they, because it's very much they see my mindset where I go. Look, fellas, I'm going to try something here today. It might work, it might not work. But if we don't try it, mm. we'd never know. Never so, know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I, I had an incident uh, last year. wasn't wasn't really an incident, but uh, just and a part of the season where I had to apologise to the players. And a guy came up to me afterwards. He was new to the club, and he said. He said, "Oh, thanks, thanks for apologising. I've I've never had a coach in all my sports ever apologise to me." And I'm like, "Oh man, like something something's wrong there if 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 we're yeah. going about it that way." Ah, uh, yeah, because I mean, coaching is not about having an ego. No, you, you can't you can't be the guy with the biggest ego around the environment. You you got to be able to. I, I mean, many tournaments with with England. Um, I would ask the guys, I'd stand up and go, right, what do you want me to, what do you want from me in this tournament? Mm. Um, come on, give me, and I'd stand there. And as you can imagine, these guys wouldn't want to give you feedback because they, they're worried about saying the wrong stuff in yeah, front yeah. of the coach. And I'm yeah. going, come on, we're all here on this learning journey. What do I need to do to, to, mm. to be better? And, it, and it's again, it's about that level of vulnerability mm. once we show that level of vulnerability i mean the connections you'll make with people would be on a on a different level because um people will open up more as well totally agree cool all right like <coughs> i mentioned in the introduction you you headed up the lithuanian sevens program for for a while there that that just sounds like a fascinating uh experience <laughs> and opportunity uh, no doubt some challenges as well what 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 were some of the big challenges and what were some of your big learnings from that experience <laughs> 
Ah, it's an amazing experience. I'm grateful for that experience, actually. Uh, The way it came about, I got a phone call. um, Got a phone call, uh, which the guy invited me over to Lithuania. I agreed. I agreed um, because it just sounded really cool. And I remember putting the phone down and and I said to my missus, "Uh, this guy (laughs) just invited me to Lithuania. Do you know where Lithuania is? <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, I, I was off. I had to do a little bit of research just to yeah. see where, where it actually is. And it sits sort of in the middle of Poland and Belarus, just yeah. sort of, and, and Latvia sits just right at the top as yeah, well. Real, real rugby heartland. Ah, yeah. And I'm <laughs> off. I'm, off I go to Lithuania. Um, and I remember getting there. Someone, so, now bear in mind, I was probably the the only black man in Lithuania as well yeah. at the time. Yeah. <laughs> there, wasn't a, there wasn't many black people. And um, invite, I, he gets picked up. The guy, as I come out of arrivals, the guy know exactly who I was, yeah. calls, calls me over, couldn't speak a word of English, um, sort of directed me to the car, um, uh, directed me to the car, got me some food. He, he, he could manage to get sort of words out in terms of, are you hungry? Mm. Um, and I sort of, yeah, let's get some food. Uh, he bought me the biggest kebab. <laughs> it's like the biggest doner kebab, as you can imagine. Awesome. And I'll go, yeah. oh, this, this is an this interesting right? <laughs> uh, Anyway, he puts me on a bus um, to where I need to go meet the, the group. Um, and literally, I was on this bus for five hours, mm. which took from one end of the country to the very far end of the country. Um, so the start was was fascinating already. Um, but I eventually got in with the group. Um, now with the, the Lithuanian guys, it's phenomenal athletes. It's unbelievable group of athletes I had um, uh, over there. It was uh, the, um, <clears throat> so the sort of start of it was, um, there was about probably 20 players, I would say, which formed your key mm-hmm. sort of national sevens players. Um, and I quickly learned about this big language barrier that we had because um, obviously English wasn't wasn't spoken very well. But a couple of players who, who was quite pivotal within the squad who could speak really well. So I had to converse through them to get a better understanding uh, for the group. One of the first things I did with the guys, um, I I just observed, first of all, because they had a a head coach at the time. Yeah, so it was just about observing what they were doing. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of slowly embedding myself and I sort of drip fed in with the sessions and that sort of, once I got their trust and buy in and they got a bit of a feel for for, for me as a person, mm-hmm. that quickly transformed into where the head coach went, look, I think you should just be the head coach. Um, and then <clears throat> I could start going, right, this is how we're going to play. Yeah. I sort of, sort of, this is how the program would look. Um, brought, brought sort of an, an SNC coach in for the, for the next camp as well. Yeah. Um, but, oh, one of the, the, the first things I did with the guys, I had them all right because I had to understand um, – what their reasons was to what their reasons were to play for the national team. Mm-hmm. So I had them all writing a letter. Um, just the, so the question was, what does it mean to play for your national team? Um, that was the question. Oh, they all wrote um, wrote a letter back in their own broken sort of English. 
Um, but it was it was powerful sort of stuff that came out um, all around being role models and family and all these type of stuff, leaving the jersey in a better place, um, yeah. growing the game in Lithuanian rugby. So these sort of stuff formed our um, <clears throat> our foundation, our values, all these mm. words made up our values. And that's sort of how we drove the culture um, and build the, the, the program with Lithuania. So the, the first year was um, uh, we were in Division Division A, so which is just under England and France, um, mm-hmm. Scotland, Ireland. Oh, no, Ireland wasn't involved at the time, actually. Yeah. Um, so we managed to win win Division A, uh, beat Poland in the finals, and then we progressed on to to um, the Grand Prix, which is like the best teams in Europe. And we were pretty, pretty successful there in my last year as well. I think we were sort of eight, seven, six. We fluctuated around there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it was, it was all about these phenomenal athletes. And all I had to do, I had to change the perception of how they see the game. Um, so I had to, everything had to become very, so they were, but their sort of basic catch bars and understanding of the game was mm. was sort of was at the, uh, a, a fairly basic level. So all I focused on is turn it into a game-based program where we played uh, we played hundreds of different types of games at mm. high intensity and and sort of. Um, use that approach to improve the individual skills within that as well um and then we just sort of went from from the next level to the next level um through that sort of pathway Mm. Uh, so i had to fight a lot of battles because people people weren't seeing sevens they weren't seeing their version of sevens Uh, so because they wanted me to do the the kickoffs play from a scrum, very unopposed type of stuff. And so yeah, it was a lot about managing people's um, uh, perception based on what they see and where we could go. And then you had to sort of articulate or, or contextualize the evidence for them so they can see that we're actually improving. Um, and the way we actually played then when we started um, playing games around our sort of, I've introduced principle-based framework as well um, to give them a better understanding of the game. And then we just sort of slowly build it that way. Um, but one of the sort of key things was around halftime because mm-hmm. I found halftime incredibly difficult because I couldn't measure how effective I was, whether, as you can imagine, sevens game, these guys are under under the pump fatigue mm-hmm. Um and there's a language barrier. Yeah. So I had to come up. I had to come and you've up. Got, you've got like one minute. <laughs> <laughs> one minute to give my message across. So I had to develop. I developed this um, booklet, uh, like 10, 15 things that meant certain stuff. So I would go Ferrari means we need to play the game faster. If I go blue, we got to stay patient and composed. So everything meant something. Cool. So my halftime talks would be something around free, blue, red. We all good. So this sort of booklet formed our, our, our basis of understanding. And even around the reviews and stuff, I had to do do little bits um, around that. Um, but no, and it, and it was. 
obviously coming from a professional background into a very, very amateur mm-hmm. environment, you you can't go full steam. Yeah. You have to sort of slowly drip feed um, people's understanding to sure. go, look, have you, thought, have you thought about that? Maybe we can change it this particular way. I remember one of the tournaments um, um, in Amsterdam, <clears throat> got to Amsterdam, day one of the tournament, the manager forbot- forgot to pack the kit <laughs> and um, he, he didn't book two of our key players. He didn't think they were needed in that particular tournament, so he didn't book tickets for them. <laughs> so this stuff is stuff you have to deal with. And then, so we quickly had to borrow a bit of kit from from other teams just to to, to get out on the field. So, oh, but yeah. I, I learned some 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 valuable lessons there. But but the most important thing was about you don't need much to be successful. Mm. Um, it is, they were under-resourced, but uh, if you can sort of uncover that level of belief with the people you work with, um, it's, it's powerful where you can take people, but you were just a rugby ball. You don't even need pips and, yeah. and you make it work. That's cool. That's a cool message too. Um, all right. And so, you know, probably you're, you're doing that and being involved with the Harlequins at the same time. Uh, what? What was that Harlequins role like? You were you were in there for eight years. You told us that that first initial kind of um, RDO role that you had there. Well, after that, where did, where did it progress to, and what what was your kind of your your week look like when you were, you were just finishing up there? Yeah, so it, it progressed in from from that role. I went sort of into a player development type role, and then they created this academy role for me. Probably about five, well, five five years before I eventually finished at Harlequins. Um, yeah, so uh, again, worked with some incredible young talent um, along the way. Um, a week would be, uh, I, I mean, I'm, I was quite lucky. I had, I'd had many cool weeks, if I can put it that way. I would be, for instance, I would have a morning session with England Sevens and you work with the very best players in, in, in the world and you go back and you go into the academy environment and you work with some of the young young talents like guys like Marcus Smith, Caden Murley, Gabriel Ibatoye, just to, to name a few of them. So then you go do some individual skill stuff with, with them. Um, and then on a Monday night, for instance, you'd have... So the <clears throat> with the academies in, oh, in particular Harlequins, we had one hour on a Monday night to work with our... Our, our very best under 18s and under 16s from Surrey and Sussex. So you got to do as much as you can possibly to to improve the guys individually. Wasn't it as much about coaching a team, although you have to to improve them tactical their tactical appreciation. Um, so that would be on a Monday, um, and and during the day you might I might have to jump in and. Um, um, support some of the senior first team players uh, with their sort of individual skill stuff. Um, I I used to fill my week up so from Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, um, I would be out and about in schools where all our key players are. Right. Uh, so I'd be delivering loads of either one-on-one sessions or there might be two or three guys in that particular school. Um, so I'd be delivering around their stuff 
um, the education stuff. Um, Fridays, you'd normally have your day out. On Saturdays, if there's no fixture, uh, say under Harlequins on the 18th fixture, you're out observing the the boys in their school environment. Right. Um, so you could you could potentially you can coach two free hours um, uh, a week, or you can full. Depends what type of academy coach you are and what type of mindset you have. You can literally fill your week with with a large number of, of sessions and you can coach for about six, seven, seven hours a week. So, um, yeah, that, that's sort of how the Harlequins week looked for me. Um, but, again, I was lucky because I had the, the sevens as well. So I would be dipping in and out in terms of where I am with Harlequins or where I am with England. So you could you could coach, say, Dan Orton in the afternoon or the morning, and then you go coach an under-12 or an under-13 player. Um, that's an up-and-coming young player. Um, so, yeah, it's quite fascinating. But So I've, I've, every week I basically had a whole holistic view of a, of a young player. Yeah, that's cool, and like I, I like that. Just going from different age groups, but not only that, but going from fifteens to sevens. Where you know, what what were some of the you know coaching sevens, and then suddenly having to go and coach fifteens? What what were some of the similarities or the differences that you you found from that experience? Now, firstly, it was incredibly hard. Mm. <laughs> it was it was incredibly hard because you you say let's say you um, go on a two week round tour where you do two. Um, say you go South Africa, America, we did. So this is 10, 10, 15 days away, just focusing on sevens. And then instantly you have to jump into 15. So you go from one real tactical mindset to the next, where all of a sudden there's more players on the field. You need to now look at different ways to try and find space. So it, it, was, it was quite challenging from that that side in the beginning but the more I sort of started looking at the whole holistic view of how I can make people better within their environments I sort of approached it slightly different Um, it was all about for me it was all about how I can make this particular guy where he's playing sevens or fifteens better with within that particular area and I used very much uh, with the sevens it's very much about you're under the microscope with everything we do. Mm. Catch, pass, speed, um, how quick you can make decisions, intelligent decisions in split seconds. Mm. So I sort of adopted that mindset within my 15s. Right. Um, and I coached the guys very similar to how I would coach a sevens player. Because mm. um, ultimately, the better I'm, the more skillful I make these guys, the more I can get them to see the game slightly different with obviously with, with more people in front of you. Because ultimately, the game is about the principles. It's about yeah, exactly. go forward, score, get the ball back. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I, and, and I was less, um, I had more clarity as well. Mm-hmm. That way, when I coached both sides, so there was no, I wasn't thinking about, oh, I'm coaching 15s or 7s. I just sort of looked at that particular way of how I can make this particular guy better with in that area because it might be his game understanding. Mm. Um, now, 15 is more complex, but I use the same sort of approach um, to look at the little bits of details around there. Um, but but the, the exciting bits is I started to see more when I'm coaching 15s. 
Because mm. uh, as you can imagine, with sevens, mm. low numbers, so you got to search for things. Yeah. So the picture, the picture was just better and bigger when I and a little slower. So I saw stuff in 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 fast forward, basically. Yeah. What what, See, what are some uh, examples there that you saw in fifteens? <laughs> Uh, so the you can anticipate where where things might go. So you'd I, I'd spend a lot of time looking at the opposition, for instance, because mm-hmm. um, that's what we do a lot from a, from a sevens uh, perspective. But uh, you you can sort of predict where they might go next. Mm-hmm. Where with sevens you can you can look at that, but it's unlikely they will go there. Mm. Unless you play someone like South Africa, who's who's very system orientated, right. um, so with those little bits of detail, I started picking up real real quick. All right, cool. That's awesome. All right, and um, you know, you've mentioned the England Seven set up a few times. What, what's a bit more detail about your your role there, and and how does that look um, at, at this time of year when the the HSBC Sevens is uh, coming to a close? I think it's London and Paris is left on the on the tour. Yeah, London, Paris. So it's gonna be be pretty big for that top four spot for the yeah. Olympics, but it's also pretty big for the the bottom guys who's who's fighting that relegation battle. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of how the role sort of looked the last four years, so for three of the of the four years, I were my title was the academy coach. So okay. three years ago, we started um, an academy. So uh, how would works within sort of premiership rugby we have to wait till all the premiership clubs um sort of sign their their top players before we can then invite them into what we call the talent id program we've actually got our fourth one this coming weekend so we invite the guys in who's not been signed by their clubs and then we try and find what we think would be the best sevens players um, to come into our program. So that was part of my role for the first three years. And if you look at the last couple of tournaments, seven of our starting team come through the the academy process. So um, it, it's 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 been amazing for us. Um, so my basically my then when the World Series guys are away, um, I will be coaching and making sure these guys are at a decent level so the programs run as it runs normally monday tuesday wednesdays up thursday friday so they all get normal sessions all through the work normal snc normal speed so the program just keeps going and if someone gets called out um we make sure that he's ready to be able to go and perform on a on a, on a world series level uh this season it was more about um um, I got a bit more of a sort of senior role. We brought in three younger coaches with John Brake, who used to play Charlie Hayter and James Rodwell. So my role was to support these guys with their delivery. We all had specific areas. So Simon Amor would look tactically attack and defense. I would support them there. Um, I would run the kicking program. Um, James Rodwell would be the kickoffs and then we've got contact and skills guy um, and I had to sort of bounce in everywhere uh, which is which is again it was a pretty cool role yeah, it's not cool. a, a specific yeah. I'm just an attack coach or just a defense mm-hmm. coach I had to it still give, gave me that big picture view I had to be ready to be able to coach 
any particular thing. You might go, I, I need you to look at that area for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'll be jumping in into that area. Um, so we're very much of a, almost, I sort of looked at it as a facilitator type of role. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one of the key responsibilities was uh, to run the kicking pro- program and make mm-hmm. sure that guys like uh, Tom Mitchell, Dan Bibby, and, and Paul Edwards are um, at a decent level when they get out there. Yeah, that's cool. That's a, that's a really good word. So, um, with a with a kicking session like that with the with the sevens guys, what what's that going to look like for you? How how much of it's going to be kind of you know drill based, technical uh, compared to some some tactical game space stuff? So for me, very much I work in terms of how a, a kicking session, for instance, would look for me. I, I work on what I call uh, a 4D deliberate play model. So um, it's not zones, but I've sort of put them in zones. So I've got what I call the free zone, the game zone, skill zone, drill zone. Um, so those are the, so when I do my practice design, it would be around these areas. So the free area is where all the informal learning happens. So I might have a certain part of the session where I go, Andy, you've got 10 minutes there, mate, um, to what you need to do. Um, you'd be surprised how much. Um, so I always like to do that around a warm-up. You'd be surprised how much of their own warm-up type of games they come up with to get themselves in, in, in the right mindset. Um, and it's a great opportunity for me to steal a few ideas, yeah, the amount of ideas <laughs> I've picked up from there. Um, so that's what I call the free area, where it's very much informal learning happens there. Um, and then the game zone. So that's all about constraints, different type of constraints, constraint to afford, uh, make sure the right affordances for the right particular individual within that area. And then the skill zone is all about putting it in context, putting apply the right amount of pressure on the guys, so a little competitive type of stuff. So it might be a kick-out, a two-kick-out type of stuff. Um, and then the drill zone is, um, I know a lot of coaches is, is, is very much afraid to go in this area. So this area for me, the, the way I look at it, is to uncover the individual process and, and very much coach the individual within it and focus very much on the process itself. Um, so that's uncovering when when someone or kicks a kick really well, what makes it good. So very much implicitly coaching that area. So so yeah, that's my 4D model. So very much my practice design might be I might jump into all those areas throughout the session, or I might just go game and skill. So for instance, I've got uh, one of the games I I play with the guys is what we we call the king of levels. So the pitch has got a say 22 to halfway. Mm-hmm. You go five meter, four meters. Uh, so you make channels down the down right. the pitch. So you yeah. go five meter channel, four meter channel, three meter, two and one. So you got to kick five kicks consecutively from drop kicks from the. Uh, so this is working on conversions. So right. you five kicks to. Um, over the 22 within yep. the channel. If you hit your five, you go to four. So you got to do four, yeah, three, cool. two, one, and so on. But if you miss it at four, you got to go back to five and hit one out. Cool. Um, it's got a video so game so. feel to 
Yeah, so that, that type of way, I think Tom Mitchell is the only guy who got to level one, but then he missed his kick on the last, <laughs> so he had to go all the way. And by this stage, the, the time was up. He yeah. wasn't happy. He wanted to keep going no, on, but he had, a, he had a lot of reps in at this stage. So I had to pull him from it um, so <laughs> we can save the growth. Yeah. So, yeah, that's very much, and that's my model as well when I coach, um, when I coach teams, when I coach... Um, when I coach groups, schools, I very much work off this four-day deliberate play model because it's it's underpinned by decision making and the principles of play. All right, and then uh, final question before we do the final four questions of the show. You you've started up a consultancy consultancy business uh, titled Coaching for Potential. Um, can you can you tell listeners a little bit about that and um, you know what 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 you do with that and what what you're offering and kind of how you've been working with coaches in the past? Yeah, so coaching for potential very much stems from my coaching philosophy, my coaching journey. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's always about unlocking human potential. Um, so this is how it sort of sort of evolved, um, and then it's 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 sort of anchored within Table Mountain. If you look at my my logo, and that reminds me of my journey. Um, where I come from, how I had to work um, to get where I am today. And then the flatness of Table Mountain is about making people feel on top of the world. Um, the four um, is about family, humility, creativity, and honesty. That's the values that Coaching for Potential um, forms the foundation of Coaching for Potential. Um, and, and it's very much in 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 sort of three categories and it's all about helping people making creating a bit of an awareness to make people better at what they're doing um, whether that's coaching or whether that's in a business world or or wherever that is um, um, yes to support that awareness so the first area I um, I do is I share a lot of information on social media around the way I coach, um, the way I see the coaching world, which is free content, which is where people can have a look at Instagram, Twitter, um, where they'll get a, a lot of, and I'm hoping a lot of different golden nuggets. Um, the second area is the, the coach development side is where I deliver a range of different workshops depending on what particular people want that is from i'm working with a crossfit gym so that's 12 crossfit coaches on the how of coaching um supporting a few uh schools in terms of their uh p department and again on the how how they deliver um and then i i sort of support the guys like magic magic academy rusty and fletch yeah, to legends. deliver some some stuff oh, big legends yeah <laughs> good, good good thinking buddies so i'd support them in in terms of delivering loads of different stuff um so it's, it's very much catered to the need of a particular club particular business in terms of where I can share my experiences from a from a, um, a, a high performance background, um, or my experience in a, in a grassroots because I had to come through that area yeah, as well. Yeah, um, and then the third side is the mentoring, where I'm mentoring coaches, um, groups of coaches individually as well. So those, those are the three areas, sort of free services I I, I provide, um, and then. 
the other little sub bits underneath it is I do a lot of one-on-one skill development, group skill development, group sessions. So that's sort of the practical coaching, yeah. coaching bits of it. Um, but it's very much tailored to coaching for potential, unlocking human potential and inspire and develop people. Uh, that's awesome. I'll, I'll put all the details uh, in the in the show notes. But just just quickly, if people want to go to the website, what what's uh, what's the website address? Uh, so I, I'm in the in in the modern world now. Someone once told me, look, if you put a website up, you're going to have to keep updating it. People don't look at websites. <laughs> I wish I knew that four anymore. years ago. <laughs> so, so I'm using Instagram as my website, so they yeah. can like get okay. me there at w at WA Coaching for Potential, or they can hit me up on Twitter, um, at W underscore Abrams, or on LinkedIn as well as Warren Abrams. Um, so yeah, so I put a lot of stuff on there, and hopefully, hopefully I can jump on this sort of um, social media train that's yeah, going. Yeah, track cool. I had a little peek at uh, your Facebook page as well. You got some really cool, like little one-minute videos where you're interviewing coaches and uh, other professionals. There's some good stuff in there too. Yeah, there's some cool golden nuggets around. Just posted one with uh, the importance of finding a mentor uh, or getting yeah, yourself. Yeah, watch that one. Yeah. That is. So um, yeah, I I tend to do um, loads of different stuff. I'll be firing out sort of a skills clinic over the next few weeks. Where I'll highlight. Um, my top 10 sort of priority skills um, and with some good examples of how to deliver and how I use my 4D deliberate play model to bring these skills to life as well. Epic. Cool. Well, like I said, I'll put all those in the, in the uh, show notes so listeners can check them out. So awesome, Warren. And um, definitely that last section I've, uh, I've stolen off you already. So uh, I'm going to be uh, palming that off as my own. So uh, some really great stuff there and no doubt coaches are you mentioned nuggets at the start of the, the start of the interview, and they've definitely got some out of this one, no doubt. Um, yeah, so really appreciate that. But we, we always end the end the show with the same final four questions. Uh, when you were a kid growing up in South Africa, who were who were some of the players that really really turned you on to the game? You mentioned Francois Pinar, and uh, who who were some of the others? Uh, back then, my hero was Chester Williams. I always yeah. wanted to be Chester Williams. Yeah. Um, awesome. uh, that's, I think that's how I ended up on a wing as well. Um, and obviously, from the era that we are and, and all the historical stuff within South Africa, he was a, he was a massive hero of mine. So I followed his progress um, intensely. Cool. So, yeah, I got a, I got a good Chester Williams story. He was, he was um, sevens coach for South Africa for a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. a buddy of mine, shout out to my buddy Andy Cow. He's a, he's a guy I used to coach with. Um, he was over in Hong Kong during the sevens and uh, somehow he got into the press conference and he asked Chester Williams, uh, what are your thoughts on playing Canada tomorrow? And um, it, a few people in the crowd kind of giggled and kind of poo-pooed it and Chester was super humble, super nice and said, no one wants to play Canada when it's raining. And sure enough, the very next day, it was an absolute monsoon came down and, and Canada ended up winning the game. So it was like, <laughs> pretty, brilliant, pretty, brilliant. pretty cool story, that one. And uh, yeah, the highlight of that story was how how, how nice and humble uh, Chester was when he, when he spoke. Yeah, no, yeah. He, he's, he's a great guy. I met him a few times. Uh, it's quite fascinating now as, as you coach at, at these type of levels. You meet all these sort of people you looked up to um but no doubt he was a he was a big hero hero at the time for me cool cool and what, what about now who are some of the players you like you like watching 
Uh, there's so many, so yeah, many talented yeah. players out there. At the minute it's pretty hard to to sort of pick one in particular. But um, if I can, if I can build this type of hybrid player that is a <laughs> bit of a combination of a Ben Smith, a Marcus Smith, um, Cheslin Colby, oh, yeah, uh, yeah. a bit of Damian McKenzie in there as well, yeah. uh, and and maybe a little bit of qualities of a. Uh, Maybe a, a, a Billy Vanapulu or a Kieran Reed in terms of that physical side. But if I can have that sort of hybrid ideal player in my team, or if I can have fifteen of them, yeah, no, I think I, you I'd wouldn't be, have to coach. Uh, yeah, I could just I could just kick back and 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 watch us win stuff. Yeah, yeah, no, that's cool. Yeah, some great names there for sure. And what about coaches? You've you've been around a few. Uh, who who are some of the ones that you really? like what they're doing at the the professional kind of end yeah i, I mean for me it's um I've, I've sort of had a privilege to work with simon Amor the last four years nice. um uh, one of the top coaches i've come across the stuff i've sort of learned from him the way he can articulate um everything with a why sort of why we do it um i remember we had to change the way we played last year how we got that message across and 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 buy-in from the guys was amazing um and also the stuff in terms of how he sees the game how he can ask tactical questions i've learned learned a lot from him so he's up there with with one of the the coaches i sort of sort of admire um and then probably one guy back in my playing days and um, something that sits very well with me is just um, uh, Pierre Ribbons used to play for the Bulls he's got no at the time I didn't think he's got real tactical understanding of the game but the way he made me feel was amazing I I, I felt uh, invincible every game I went to play Um, but yeah so so that part from from him is, is, is something sort of that, that forms uh, the basis of my coaching philosophy. Yeah, perfect. No, that's great. And what about in your last question, what about in your local community? Who are, who are some coaches who are doing some really good things that deserve some recognition? Yeah, there's, uh, I probably do my dis- self a disservice if I, if I name names, but yeah. <laughs> there's uh, so, some, some pretty cool uh, young coaches in particular around this area um, who's in the, the sort of the community pathway for England rugby so right. they call them CRCs there's probably three or four guys like Chris Bedding um, Alex Fieldhouse um, um, Tom Redfern these guys it's just sort of I think they with this modern modern day world we live in and how social media is in affecting us and where 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 change is going these guys with this new group of young players coming through is going to change the way coaches coach in the future oh no doubt i'm, I'm just trying to work out instagram right now so uh they're, they're, they're way ahead of us <laughs> yeah, they, they definitely and they, yeah, I, it's a powerful tool it's yeah it's social media is one i've used many times to prepare uh seven teams um uh, in particular the harlequins team just in the summer where we had no time and i coached them all through through whatsapp and social media and no doubt we've played in the semi-finals without any preparations. That's great. That's awesome. Great little last-minute nugget for, for the <laughs> listeners. All right, Warren, well, it's been great great talking to you. Uh, I think your story's fascinating, and it's a really good message uh, for coaches out there. You, you definitely didn't get anything handed to you for free. Um, even though you did come through the professional ranks, you, 
you've 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 worked incredibly hard and it's a, a fascinating story and uh, I want to thank you for giving up your time and uh, all the best uh, moving forward. Oh no, thank you very much for having me. Um, it's a privilege to share some stuff with you and like I said, I'm a big fan of the pod. Um, but for any coaches out there, keep taking risks and yeah. don't be afraid to fail. Awesome, great message. All right, cheers, Warren. Thank you very much. Thanks, mate. for listening to the Rugby Coaches Corner podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review via iTunes and keep listening for the next episode. You can also follow us via Twitter at RugbyCoachesCNR or via the website therugbycoachescorner.com. Until next time, keep sharing ideas to make the game better.